And the whole church said, amen. amen. Boy, isn't it great to be together this morning? I appreciated Kevin starting some of our celebration, and I want to celebrate along with him and along with you some of the great things that God has done in this body in the year 2019. Top of my list were the 45 baptisms. That was awesome. Also think about some of the great things been going on in our, our small group ministry. Just really, as we're taking a break and reorganizing, uh, I just have heard so many awesome stories of what's going on in small groups. And many of you that hadn't been in a group have joined a group. Many of our groups are really growing, and that's, you know, that's where Landmark really happens. Also commend our women's ministry started something called the If Gatherings, which is a monthly gathering of women that is making a really big difference when they are asking the good questions and getting to know each other. We've had an amazing ministry continue to blossom over at Halcyon Elementary School. I think that's been one of the best things that God has partnered us with. To be at work in this school through mentoring and tutoring and teaching has been just a great blessing. And I love it when we can bless our community. I think of our serve day, love the city, when we spread out across this community and served. I think of a lot of the great events, some, some that actually seem so far back to me, I was surprised they were in 2019. We had a great parenting seminar with Jim Burns. Um, we, probably the biggest thing we did this year was forgiveness as a choice in the month of May. Because not only did that bring our church together to work as well as ever, but it also brought our whole community together. And it was a great night of, of forgiveness and racial reconciliation that continues to ha- make waves across our community. Love that we can be a part of that. Birthed out of that has been the Be the Bridge group, which we're about to start a new one in January, where we're having those tough conversations about race relations and, and getting to know each other and seeing the other's perspective. I've heard just amazing life change from that. Then on top of all that, man, we've had incredible crowds and outreach on Easter and Friend Day. And I love this Friend Day. We were able to honor our people in RSVP. And through the 12-step series, they helped us to understand many of the ways real life changes. And I don't want to leave this out. You have given more in the year 2019 than you did in the year 2018. In fact, we are only four years away from paying this building off completely. Could you give a hand clap for that? Because when that happens, we're going to have so much more finances for ministry. And then you've given so good on special occasions from Mission Sunday to Agape to Meredith Foundation. You have really knocked it out. We've had so much money this year that we were able to renovate the men's and the women's restrooms. (laughs) I say that tongue-in-cheek. That is not worthy of a clap, okay? Because I always remember, I went back to a church I worked with uh, for their 50th anniversary. And they had this list of everything that had happened over the 50 years that was good. And on one of the years, the only thing on the list was we renovated the restrooms. I thought, that's not worthy for a 50th anniversary, but it is nice to go to a clean restroom. Amen? And guys, on top of, of, of all of that, uh, we've not publicly announced this. You may have got an email about it, but we have found a uh, full-time male youth minister who will be moving here in the next two weeks, uh, Wes and Stephanie Collum, their one-year-old son, Judah. We had an extensive interview process with lots of candidates. We came away so excited. He's 29 years old, 
been the same church doing youth ministry for seven years, which we thought was important, and wants to do long-term youth ministry. Could we clap for that? Yes. Now, while we're celebrating, I don't know if I see them or not, but Pat and Deb Watkins are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. That is worthy of a clap. And while we're celebrating, my friend Warren Golson is cancer-free. In fact, let me quote from Warren's text to me. Cancer is from Satan, and he didn't win this one. Prayer defeated his efforts. Amen. So we celebrate. We needed that victory, didn't we? Guys, you know what? There are times in our history where we've been bigger, but I honestly believe there's never been a time that we've been stronger. It's just a great time to be a part of this church. There's an amazing spirit. And so many of you are joining us and helping us carry that spirit on. Year 2019 was a good year. Uh, For me, spiritually, it was a a year where there was just one word that kept popping off the pages of Scripture. Uh, I've been reading through the Bible, and by the time I got to all the epistles, this word just, I'd never noticed it so much, but it's just everywhere. It's simply the word, please, that we are to find out what pleases the Lord. Guys, there's no stronger motivation than for you and I to act than to want to please the person you love. You know, you know, when you love someone, you want to please them. And, and the most heart-wrenching thing for you is when you disappoint them. And so this word's become a theme for me that I just, just I want to make it just about pleasing the Lord. We, we talked a few weeks ago because at the end of this life, you're going to hear either one of two words. You're either going to hear, well done, or you're going to hear, you fool. It's devastating when you don't please someone you love. I love the biography of George W. Bush called First Son. It talks about when he was sort of a wild kid in college age, and his daddy decided he needed a tough job for the summer. That's the former president. And so he asked his son to go and drill on an oil oil barge for oil all summer from June to August. But George W. walked off the job seven days before it was supposed to be over. He came into his dad's office. Here's what the book says. The successful old man, George H.W. Bush, stared at his son, the prodigal roustabout. He showed his disappointment. He made George W. feel guilty. You agreed to work a certain amount of time, and you didn't. George W. heard his father intone. I just want you to know that you've disappointed me. The first son fled the office. He had failed his father in some way. His mother was much more dramatic about it. Barbara would scream and carry on. Then Barbara says the way her husband George scolded was by silence or by saying, I'm disappointed. And my sons would almost faint. George W. later writes, those were the sternest words to me, even though he said them in a very calm way. He later told a close friend, He wasn't screaming, and he wasn't angry, but he was disappointed. When you love a person, he writes, and he loves you, those are the harshest words someone can utter. How ironic 
that George H.W. Bush's last words were on the phone to his son, George W. Bush, and when he said, son, I want you to know, I love you. And my friends, this idea of pleasing God is such a powerful idea, and it's all over Scripture. I'm, I'm going I'm to share some with you today. Uh, Kevin already shared from Ephesians that when we become the family of God, it brings pleasure to God. And let, me, let me share some more. You'll see them up here on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, first of all, I may, I may have skipped one. Yeah, let me hit that. Nope, that's the verse 1. 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9, excuse me. So we make it our goal to please him, whether at home, in the body, or away from it. Paul's talking there about his life. And he's talking about whether I'm living in the flesh or I'm living in, the, in heaven. And he says, you know, it's going to be my goal, whether I'm living on this earth or I'm in the next world, to just make it my goal to please God. That carries on through all eternity. Look at the next passage. Next passage, he says, and I would like to, you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. This is one of those points where Paul says, I really think the single Christian life is a great alternative. We, we made a big mistake, I think, as a church of not affirming that. Because what Paul says is if you're single, you only have to please God. And then Paul, who was never married, but knew enough to say in the next verse, when you're married, you've got to please your wife. He says you've you got a dual pleasure. And so some of you that are single here, let me say this to you. You may be best equipped to please God. You've got more time. i tell you, my best years in ministry in many ways were when I was single. I always get upset when we're looking for people and people say, you can't hire a single person to be a minister. My goodness, if we believe that, then we wouldn't hire Jesus or Paul. My friends, single people have great opportunities in ministry, not just paid ministry, but in ministry. And Paul affirms that, and so should we. I know sometimes for some of you who are single here, this church feels like a married place. But I'm telling you, you've got a blessing that you can bring to this church that some of the rest of us can't. Galatians 6, verse 8, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. If you're just trying to please yourself and not God, it will lead you to destruction. If you seek to please God, it will lead you to eternal life. And then listen to what he said to the church at Colossae. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. He says, guys, I want you to please God in every way. And if you, you, you kept reading, he lists some things. First of all, we saw this one, bearing fruit in good works, growing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen with power inside so that you can endure anything. And giving joyful thanks. And then over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul is in the middle of his motives being questioned of why he's in ministry. He says, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our heart. And then look over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 where again, he challenges people to please God. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to what? 
please God. As in fact, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. He says, guys, you're a great church, man. They're like us today, celebrating. You guys are pleasing God, but I think there's even more you could do to please God. And as we leave the year 2019 and we go to the year 2020, here's my challenge to you and I. Let's do even more to please God. We've got a great foundation. Let's build on it. Now, I want to point this out. In this passage, if you keep reading, his challenge is to please God even by staying away from sexual immorality. You see, this idea of pleasing God is not just going to permeate, you know, what you do at church. I grew up where we would pray every Sunday. It was a great prayer. May everything we do be pleasing in your sight. But my friends, that prayer doesn't just belong in the assembly. It belongs in every area of your life. Paul says even in the area of sex. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, he says, No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. What's Paul saying? When you want to please somebody, you're focused on what they say and what they want you to do. We don't want one of our soldiers over in Afghanistan going from neighborhood to neighborhood with terrorists on their heels, thinking about their, their next social media post, or, or what's the, the new program on Netflix, or actually what's going on back in American politics. No, for that soldier to survive, he needs to be focused on what's going on and what his commanding officer says, and so do we. And then in Hebrews 11, verse 6, he says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. At the foundation of this, guys, there are two questions. Do you believe in God? And number two, do you trust him? Do you trust if you please him, your life will be rewarded? And then um, in Galatians, Paul's fighting the legalists of his day who want to make Christianity back about rules and regulations and not about a relationship. And he's taking some heavy heat, and he writes, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. What a stark contrast. I'm either pleasing God or pleasing people, and if I'm just simply trying to please people, I'm not a servant of Christ. So here's the obvious question for you and for me that I want to think about for a moment. Are you a people pleaser or a God pleaser? I mean, wh- where do you land on that? I mean, th- there's a really sad scripture to me in, in John chapter 12. There, there were these Jewish leaders who wanted to follow Jesus, who actually they believed, but they didn't trust him enough. They believed. And they didn't follow Jesus, and Jesus says, They love the praises of men more than the praises of God. Some of us are more naturally people pleasers than others. Now, I I, I look at my grandchildren. We spent a lot of time with them over the last last week. And and some of them, you can just tell, they want to please everybody. And you love that. They want to please you. One of them the other day, he got in trouble. And I said, man, why why did you do that? And he said, then he named his cousin and said, my cousin told me to do it. And I said, man, you, you can't do what everybody tells you to do. You're going to be in trouble. That, some of our grandchildren are more that way. I've got other grandchildren where it's very obvious they don't care about pleasing anybody, okay? 
They're just going to do what they want to do head first. And so some of us are both ways. I'm telling you, I like to please people. I, I, I would explain, I could explain, I'm an encouragement junkie. I love to get encouragement. I love to give it. I love to get it. I, I like both of those things. But I will confess to you, some days I crave it too much. Because my one and only goal needs to be to please God. Let me give you a few tests about whether you're a people pleaser. Does your behavior change by who you're around? A real specific question on that was, does your language change? Is it one way here at church, another way at the golf course? One way here at church, another way at school? Is your language one way here and another way when you're home and mad? Does your language change? Does any of your behavior change? Um, another question would be, are you willing to stand alone? You know, sometimes you're in situations where you've got to be the only person. In the culture we live in, we're going to find this more and more, that for us to believe biblical truth, we're going to be standing alone. Are you willing to do that and not be silent? Do you ever ask, what does God think? Or maybe the way I'd put do you seldom ask, what does God think? That's what disturbs me today. I see a lot of us that it's just obvious what God says doesn't come into factor. And we have attitudes that are just about behavior, frankly, about church involvement, that you just can't get it from Scripture, about financial priorities, our attitudes sometimes about marriage, our attitudes about life and negativity, our attitudes in our decision-making process. The, the, the question here is, do we interject this question? Is this pleasing to God? Or is it just pleasing to people? Or probably the person I struggle with the most to please is myself. You can be a people pleaser with yourself. This feels good to me. This is what I feel like doing. I'll do what I want to do. That's not good enough. There's got to be a part of you that says, you know what? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. What does he think about this? That's much more important. Because we betray this. It really disturbed me. Sometimes people try to encourage me by going, you know what, man? I came to this special service. Man, I came just because I really knew you wanted me to be here. I'm like, no. I hadn't said this, but I should have. No. I don't want you to come to this because I want you to be here. I want you to come to this because God wants you to be here. Sometimes people leave and they move out of town and they come back to visit Landmark and, and they court me and say, man, I miss Landmark. I love Landmark. It's such a special church, you know. In fact, where I've moved, I've not been able to find a church like Landmark, so we're not even going to church. And they say that to me like I'm going to be happy about that. I'm not happy about that. We don't want you to fall in love with Landmark. We don't want you just to try to make us happy. We want you to fall in love with Jesus. And if that means you have to go to church that's not exactly like this church, do it. You, you say that to me like it's a compliment. It's the greatest criticism I could receive, is that somehow we've trained you to want simply to be here and not be faithful somewhere else. You see, guys, we've got to answer this question. Are we God-pleasers or people-pleasers? Now, let me say a couple things about this. Being a people-pleaser is absolutely exhausting because you'll never please everybody. You've got too many people to please. You've got your wife. You've got your boss. You've got your children. You've got your friends. you and it's a moving target. <laughs> you ever found that? 
You think you got one thing down pat, you know, and you're pleasing, and then the target changes. I'm not talking about marriage, okay? And then the target changes. So it's exhausting. It's really exhausting because you've got to read everybody and figure out what they like. But guys, let me tell you this. Pleasing God is refreshing. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. It's restful. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What's the word yoke? The word yoke is about what you would put on an animal. For, for a teacher to put a yoke on you would be for his teaching to be put upon you. And Jesus says, my teaching's not like the scribes and Pharisees who just make you feel guilty all the time and you can never please them. My teaching is a yoke that fits perfectly on you. My commands are not meant to hurt you. They're meant to bless you. And when you please me, you can find rest. My friends, when you decide in your life, and I decide, and I need to decide this, that I am living for an audience of one, there is a peace about that that you cannot find in trying to please other people. So let's talk a few more minutes about how we become God-pleasers. Number one, know the Father. Paul says, you need to find out what pleases the Lord. And what I love about this is that word know is so important in Scripture. It's a relational term. Uh, for, for instance, it goes all the way back to creation. Now, the Bible says Adam knew Eve. What, what's that about? Well, you know, we'd be embarrassed to answer out. It's about the most intimate relationship on this earth. And so when the Bible uses the word know, and we get the New Testament, and Jesus says, I want you to know God, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom he sent, it's a radical idea that we can be in a relationship. And in any good relationship, you seek to find out what pleases the Lord. I mean, for instance, like we've been talking about all day, marriage is one of those top relationships. And, and, and if you're married, you sort of learn on the job. It's a recalibration here and a recalibration there. And when you first get married, you don't know all those things. I figured out about Stephanie that she does not like practical gifts, okay? She likes sentimental gifts, I don't know what was wrong with that free ticket for an oil job, okay? Uh, it, just, it just didn't work. I found out about my wife. I grew up in a family with five brothers. We picked on each other completely. We were sarcastic every moment of the day. It does not work with her, okay? It took me about 10 years to figure that out. But it does not work. I figured out I like to talk about everything all the time. She is really weird. She likes quietness sometimes. It's like, buddy, be quiet. Just hold on. I'll come back later and we'll talk about this. We don't have to solve this right now. You know, in marriage, you know that. You're constantly recalibrating. You're listening. You're watching. You're adjusting. And guys, when, when you come to know God, that's what you do. You don't know it all right now, but the more you get to know him, the more you understand him, the more you find out what he loves, the more you find out what makes him mad, the more you find out what makes him sad, the more you find out what makes him happy then you continually adjust your life to him because you've got to know him. And let me say something to you guys. 30 minutes on Sunday is not enough. That's how long I get to preach. I'm going to break it today. 30 minutes on Sunday is not enough. If you're counting on what I teach here to be enough for you to know God, you're going to be sadly mistaken. I'll do my very best. You need a daily time with him. You need interaction with him. 
You need that time where you, you, you read Scripture and you meditate on what God has said and you pray. So the first step is we've got to know the Father. And in the year 2019, find out what pleases Him. Number two is you've got to obey the Spirit. He says those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life. Though it is a relationship, and it's not just a bunch of lists, there are lists. There are some black and white things that you do that please God and that you don't do to please God. For instance, in your marriage, in the long run, you're going you're to make some lists. Stephanie and I have a list. We don't get ourselves in inappropriate situations with people of the opposite sex. We, we, we don't travel individually if we're not good together. We don't speak disrespectful of the other in front of other people. They're just list of things that we know we need to do to make our marriage healthy. And guys, in your relationship with God, Paul's can give you a lot of list. And so some of it's going to be pretty obvious. I love the old preacher preached in Alabama a long time. Many of you probably remember the name Gus Nichols. And if a couple would come to him wanting him to help them with their marriage, he would ask them two questions. Question number one, do you want to do what's right? Question number two, are you willing to, to let the Bible tell you what's right? And guys, today we need to ask a couple of questions to you and to me. Are you willing to please God? Are you going to let his word tell you how to please God? So guys, part of this is, you know what? I need to be looking in the Word for what pleases God. He's told you a lot of those things. And, and, and you know, there's some pretty stern warnings when you do things that are on some of the list that you're not supposed to do. So am I willing to obey the Spirit? Am I willing to obey the sword of the Spirit? And am I willing to obey the promptings of the Spirit? I don't believe that God only speaks to us through His Word. I don't think He'll ever say anything to you that will contradict His Word. I think He works through promptings and nudges and people and all kinds of things. But I'm telling you, if you're not willing to obey what he said in his written word, there's no reason for him to speak to you anywhere else. Number three, I must follow Jesus' example. Man, I love this passion, this passage. Jesus says this, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Listen to this, for I always do what pleases him. A hundred percent of the time, Jesus did what was right. If you ever want to say someone was the perfect child, it was Jesus. So guys, I think this is a really big time for us. Guys, our goal is not just to be good church members. Our goal is not just to come to church. Our goal is not just to keep the list. Our goal is to be like Jesus. So it's so important that we stay in the Gospels. Because I want, I want to make a point here that many of us need to hear. He did not come just to save you. See, sometimes someone asks, well, why are you a Christian? Well, I, I want to go to heaven. That's a nice answer, but that's not the best answer. He didn't just come to save you. He also came to show you. It's not just about you checking off a list so at the end of time you get to walk into the pearly gates. That's nice. It's about you and I living with Jesus as our model and our example. That, that's why some of us do things that don't please God, because we think as long as I've got this little list checked off, and I'm going to get in heaven, it's okay, and then I can go out here, I can have all kinds of attitudes and language and behaviors that don't match up with Jesus, and that's okay. It's not okay. He wants to save you, and he wants to show you. Thank God 
When it comes to pleasing God, we don't have to wonder what it looks like. He didn't just give us a book of commands and do's and don'ts. He did give some of those. He gave us something even better. He gave us an example. You want to know someone who 100% of the time pleased God, it's his son Jesus. And so now what Jesus is saying to us is, follow me. Because you'll never go wrong when you're asking yourself that old question that used to be on those bracelets, what would Jesus do? So let me challenge you as we close out here. In 2020, let's make it our goal to please him. Let's talk about us as a church for a moment. Wouldn't it be great to be a part of a church where we say our number one goal is to please God? Now let me tell you some things we're not going to please. We're not going to please our culture. For us to stand on what God has said, we're going to say things that aren't popular in our culture. I was really surprised we had all those organizations here on Agape Orphan Care Sunday, and I preached on abortion. How many of those organizations came to me afterwards and said they had never heard a sermon on abortion? Because if we're not careful, we avoid the difficult conversations. And we begin to be more influenced by our culture than we are influencing our culture. Number two, we will not please our critics. Guys, and some of you know nothing about this, and it's hard to even bring this up, but you know, we have critics in our fellowship who think a lot of the things that we do are wrong. Somebody told me not too long ago, said, I talked to these people, and I asked them, why didn't you go to Landmark? And they say, well, because they clap, and they're people raising hands. I could never forget, 20 years ago, somebody cornered me in the back of this worship center and said, did you see what happened in there? I said, well, I was there. Did you see people raising their hands? I said, well, yes. What do you think about that? And I said, it's in the Bible. And he looked at me. He was so mad that God let that get in the Bible. (laughs) Guys, our standard will not be our critics. On any side, it's what pleases God. We're going to have critics on the left. We're going to have critics on the right. We're going to please God. And and let me say something I've never said before that needs to be said. We are not always going to please your relatives. I need the applause, affirmation, please. (laughs) Guys, some of you come up to me on Sunday. Are we going to do anything weird today? (laughs) My grandmother's coming. What are we going to do? Guys, we're not trying to displease them. but, But let's step back a second. Would you really want the leadership of this church to make decisions based on whether your relatives would like it or not? Guys, I've been there. I've been there where some of my folks come, man, and we go to lunch together, and I, I get to hear them criticize everything we did. But would you want me to stop what we do because i got some folks in my family who don't like it? We cannot make decisions that way. And some of you expect us to do that. And guys, I'm, I'm going to say this to you. I'm going to say it to me. Are you trying to please your family? Are you trying to please God? And I quote this over and over, and Dick Thompson, I'll, cl- I'll quote it Till I die. Red letter day in the history of this church is when Dick Thompson stood in this, on this stage and said, guys, we want you all to know something. It is no longer your elders' goal to please you. It is our goal to please God. And that need never happen. Never change. So guys, we're not going to please everybody. But we're going to do everything we can to please God. 
we're going to actually ask the question that some people don't want to actually ask is, what does the Word of God say about this? Not what my tradition says about it, or our critics say about it, or even the church I grew up said about it. And guys, next Sunday, we're going to start looking into this. The elders have asked me to uh, preach a message series. We're calling 2020, God's Vision for His Church. We're going to go back and just do the very basics of what we're supposed to be about. And guys, we're on a small group break, so on Sunday morning, we'll talk about 2020 vision. On Wednesday night, we'll meet for what we're going to call 2020 action. So if we talk about loving God on Sunday morning, on Wednesday night, you'll come back in here, and we'll talk about how do you love God. We're going to get really practical. And we're going to start off next week with a week of prayer. You know what I love about my children? Is they like to talk to me. I'll probably talk to most of my kids every day, no matter where they live. Is a daddy that pleases me. You know what pleases God? Is when we want to talk to him. And you know what's extremely powerful? Is when the church gathers to talk to him. And I'm asking you right now to mark off next Sunday night and next Wednesday night. Lord knows we've given you a lot of time off, okay? Next Sunday night and next Wednesday night. And let's get together and we're, we're, we're going to pray. Because, guys, if we're going to please God, it would be really important that we ask his opinion, right? No. So imagine, imagine all of us together wanting to please God. I always remember my man I love so much, Coach Stallings. Someone asked him, what was the, what was the key to Bear Bryant's success? And I love him to tell Bear Bryant stories. He said, and I've heard him say this a hundred times, the key to Coach Bryant's success is that everybody in the building wanted to please him. From the janitor to the secretary to the assistant coach to the football player, the worst thing they wanted to do was to displease Coach Bryant. And that's the key to that success. Can you imagine when we're the people where our greatest goal is to please God? And then let's, let's get personal. Let's make it our goal to please, please your goal to please him. Not just as a church, now let's get down to the individual. I've got a great friend who's taught me over the last 10 years to sort of set a theme for each year. You, know, you pray about it, you look at phrases, you look at verses, you think about your life, you ask God to sort of give you something just to sort of center your next year on so you don't just repeat the last year. I can just go ahead and tell you mine. My phrase is going to be, please him. My phrase is going to be, what I'm going to do, is it pleasing God? Can I imagine what will happen in my life if I stop living to please other people or even please myself and say, I'm going to please God. Can you imagine what your life would be like, how different it would be? But catch this, a couple things, guys. Here, here, this is what's so crazy to me about what we're talking about here. You can bring pleasure to God. That's radical. It was radical in the first century. One of the most shocking revelations about God through Jesus was God has feelings. Before that, everybody thought God was stoic. In fact, they thought for God to have feelings made God, it, it diminished God, because God's affected by what we do. I'm telling you, I don't think God having feelings diminishes him. I think it personalizes him. Catch this before we get out of here, guys. What you do, what I do, affects God. You can make him happy or you can make him sad. It's one of the number one reasons I'm not a Calvinist. Because if God has already decided everything, why in the world does he get happy when I made a choice he made me make? 
Why does he get sad when people reject him? Because he's giving you that choice. And this is the radical, crazy thing, is that you have this opportunity to please him. And here's the even better thing. When you please him, he will express his pleasure to you. I think one of the most touching scenes in the New Testament is at Jesus' baptism, where Jesus lines up with a bunch of sinners like you and me to get baptized. He puts himself in our place. There's two times in the New Testament where the, where the voice of God is heard out loud. Once at the Mount of Transfiguration, where God says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. That was said for his disciples. The other time is at his baptism, and this is not said for his disciples, not for the crowd. This one said for Jesus. When he comes out of the Baptist, out of his baptism, when the Spirit falls on him, the Father says out loud, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This kid from a small town with a bad reputation as an illegitimate kid who would be rejected over and over in his life, he needed to hear the affirming words of his daddy. And if Jesus needed that, how many of us need it? Many of us have longed to hear those words. Maybe you never heard it from your mom. More likely, you never heard it from your dad. Maybe you hardly ever hear it from your spouse. Maybe you're dying for your children to say, I really love you and appreciate what you've done. Maybe it's a friend that you never please. Maybe it's a boss that's never commended you. It hurts. It leaves a sense of void and brokenness. Let me, let me ask you, who are you longing to hear these words from? I can't promise you you'll ever hear them. Some of your folks have already died without you ever hearing it. But what I can promise you today is that you can hear these words from God Almighty. When you begin to live for an audience of one, when you and I begin to live to please God, at some point you're going to hear the affirmation of God. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Now I can live for that. How about you? So today, if there's some things in the year 2019 that you need to leave behind before we walk out of here, it's like, I, 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 you know what? There's been some areas of my life I have blatantly displeased God. I'm doing some things that it's just in black and white. God doesn't like it. Maybe you need to repent of that. Or maybe there's some goals you need to set for the future, for 2020, that we walk in and do in just a couple of days of, of, of how you can please God, that, that you want to change the way you live from trying to please men, which is impossible, to trying to please God, which by the grace of Jesus Christ is not just possible, it's guaranteed. If you need to come today, Let's pray for you. Today, you're ready to be baptized and hear the voice of God bless you. Come right now while we stand and sing.